This is weird shit that my mom says. Episode 17. I'm Jules Creighton. And this is Cece Alice. So, so how's it going this week, or maybe the last couple weeks? It's it's been a minute since we since we recorded last. Um, yeah, it really has. Yeah, I actually was having some anxiety just there because we, I I didn't I didn't prepare myself mentally for how I was going to sing the intro. Normally, I have like somewhat of an idea in my head, and it's usually based around like some sort of song that's stuck in my head. And this time I had nothing. And so I decided to go with something that was more fancy because the house that I'm going to talk about is fancy. Well, I liked it. It's because you're good in a pinch. I might be. I might have. I might. No, I I did some improv actually in my younger days. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, I think. Uh, and when I'm drunk, I'm also good then <laughs> at improv. Are you drunk right now? No, it's the morning. I thought maybe you slipped something in your Starbucks. I did not. It's regular Starbucks. Non-boozy. Well, that's a bummer. I know, right? Actually, I would have been, been really fun. concerned if you had poured some <laughs> booze in your Starbucks because, yeah. You're like, yeah. what's new? And I'm like, well, I'm an alcoholic now. Just that. All right, so me, same old, same old. Um, basically, I'm a fucking lunatic, and all I do is work on my house. So I've been, you know, remodeling the office, did a whole bunch of things in there, and then I accidentally ripped off some wallpaper in the bathroom downstairs, which turned into a whole thing. And so I de-wallpapered the bathroom, and you know how that goes. <laughs> Yeah, pulling wallpaper down is the worst, but that that's how we do. Do you remember that one time when I just started ripping the wall off while you were taking a nap on my couch? And then I just told you to do it. Anyway, oh, Lucy showed me a video. She has a video of us taking the wallpaper off and we're singing, an, I think it's an 80s song, like really passionately. Oh my God, that's amazing. While we're ripping off wallpaper. Yeah. Anyway, so that's what I've been doing. And then last night, because I am who I am, I started painting in the kitchen also. So now I have three rooms that are doing bad things. And I'm like, stop it, stop itself. But I just, I can't stop. And you said that you're always happy now. So what is it that you're doing? What is your secret to life? Yes, I learned about this mental toughness challenge that people can do. And it's called 75 Hard. And somebody told me about it. I had a peaked interest, so I looked into a little bit more and what I needed to do for it. And then I thought to myself one night, I was like, okay, how many days until I leave to go on vacation and visit you? And I looked it up and it was 76 days until I leave to visit you on vacation. And I was like, oh shit, I think, I think I'm supposed to do this. Oh, yeah, so there's like a whole bunch of different rules. And the first rule is that you have to drink an entire gallon of water every single day. What does that have to do with mental toughness? Well, just hold on. It's it's really to see if you can get all these things done. If it 
if you can have just a really inconvenient, difficult 75 days, you can really get other healthy things happening in your life. Okay. And so the first thing was the gallon of water. And I'm pretty sure that I've been dehydrated for my literal entire fucking life. (laughs) And there's no drinking alcohol. What? But I'm an alcoholic in the morning. No, I'm kidding. I'm not. I know. Hard stuff. Outside of that, you have to do two 45-minute workouts every single day. And one of them has to be outside. What? Every day for 75 days? Yeah, every single day. And you're doing it? Yeah. How many days are you on? I'm on day 10. You've done- I'm proud of you. Thank you. I wasn't even sure that I was going to get through day one. And here I am going strong. Okay. I I like it. Well, I can't do it with you, unfortunately, because, you know... I missed the cutoff because somebody forgot to give me the memo about the 75-day mark. Yeah, bummer. So guess what I'm talking about? Well, I kind of know because you sent me that link earlier. Oh, okay. So today um, we're going to talk about one of the most haunted houses in America, quote unquote, most haunted houses in America. It's been investigated by the likes of Ghost Hunters. Ooh. Unsolved Mysteries. Oh. Ghost Adventures. Because nice. fucking Zach Baggins. And also me. What? I stayed there. That's why I've heard of it before. Because you told me about this place after you went on your little trip there. Well, it's it's Myrtle's Plantation in um, St. Francisville, Louisiana. And I had wanted... I had wanted to go here for years, ever since I saw it, I think probably on Ghost Adventures, not going to lie, because that's like the only ghost show I like to watch. But I do think I did see an Unsolved Mysteries on it as as well once um, and maybe some other thing, but I thought it was like one of those life pipe dreams that would never happen. And then I moved to the South and we took a haunted vacation last summer and we stayed Every place that we stayed was haunted, I think, except for one hotel. Um, And this was on the list. And I got to tell you, this is the most beautiful place I've ever been in my entire life. Like, this is what my heaven looks like. It is amazing. So you go there and, you know, you're kind of going on these like old country roads to get there. You turn in, you go down this long driveway. There's all of these live oak trees with the Spanish moss floating in them. Like I live in an area with Spanish moss and, you know, that's that's beautiful. But this place, like it's it seriously like we even started looking at properties in the area because we were like, oh, my God, it's so beautiful. I ultimately decided that was not a good life choice. But you come up, there's this like Grecian statue that is by this fountain, right? And you go up and there's this huge plantation house and there's like a big square in the middle, you know, with fountains. There's a a pond that's in the middle of it. And of course, there's the, the crepe myrtle trees. If you don't know what a crepe myrtle tree is, um, I fell in love with them when I moved to the south and we actually like I bought a billion of them for my yard too um but they're like these flowering trees they're absolutely beautiful they bloom usually from like 
um, spring all the way through. They're still blooming in my yard, um, but they're all over this plantation. And they have the Spanish moss hanging in them. It's like enchanting. It sounds so pretty. The little, uh, yeah, the little pond. It's got this little um, bridge that you go on. And it's got like a like a gazebo thing in the middle of it. And I didn't really know like all of the ways in which the, the place was haunted. But now reading later on, it kind of creeps me out um, just because of the fact that like we did our own little ghost hunt at night there. Uh, we stayed in one of the cabins, not in the main house. So there's cabins that are around the lake. And... They're new. They're newer cabins, but when it's dark at night, it's dark around the lake until you get over to the house. So I can talk about that in a little bit um, about our cool adventure walking around the dark lake, and then the girls running for their lives in the dark because they thought they lost us. <laughs> they ran around. They ran around the lake in the dark. Oh my God! Why? That's terrifying. It is. Like, I don't know why they did that because the other direction was lighted. Like, they could have just walked on the lighted path and found us on the other side. And instead, they they decided to run through the dark. So it's pitch black. And you're at this place where you know it's haunted. And you just, you're a child. And we were literally there to ghost hunt. So this place is rumored to be... Um, on ancient Tunica Indian burial um, grounds. And I believe you pronounce it Tunica. Allegedly, this land was owned by that tribe. And basically, you know, the assholes come in and they take things away, um, as they do in America. Yeah. This whole area kind of like would switch back and forth. Like it would be, it's, it's very close to New Orleans. In this same trip, I think, yeah, we did New Orleans again in this trip too. Oh, yeah, we did the Haunted Bayou um, in this trip also. But that's a different story. Basically, the the Spanish came and took from the Indians. I say Indian and not Native American. Like, I will switch back and forth. The doc actually went and did some archaeological digs, like, with the Seminole Indians in Florida and lived with them for a while. And he's met a lot of them, and they prefer to be called Indian and not Native American. So I'm not really sure sometimes, like, which one to use. Um, that's just what, what he had said. So if you have any any thoughts on that, please do let us know if, if you know um, either way. That's really interesting, and I had never heard that before. And I really, I have no idea. Right. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. Either way. We'll call them Native American, I guess, in this part to be to be safe. So anytime I've ever heard of anyone building on those grounds, they get they get hella pissed, man. There's there's ghosts. <laughs> like things happen. Ooh. Do you re- like our grandma, uh, their house was built basically, I think, on native lands. Did you know that? No, which which one? Like they lived next door to each other when we were kids, so I guess Oh, I didn't know that there it was. That whole area is. Yeah, Hiawatha. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I you know, I always felt some weird sort of some sort of way there and I wondered why and then as I got older I was like, "Oh, yeah, that makes sense." I didn't feel weird there. You didn't? 
no, I just always was like, I'm at grandma's house. This is great. I don't know. I just never felt anything there. I did, I guess, from the time I was little. Um, I always just try to ignore creepy shit when it comes up. Right. Yeah. Push that down. I get really scared. I'm not as scared now that I'm older. It's okay. Um, I'm trying to view them as like we are all souls. We're all people and dead or alive. We, you know, if somebody's scared or hurt or whatever it is, like I don't want them to feel scared or hurt, whether they're dead or alive. So I try to view it from that lens. That's nice and everything, but what if they're a demon? Well, if they're a demon, then they're a demon. It's There's people that are demons. Well, I'm scared of them too. Like real live people. I don't even know if I believe in demons. I don't know if I do either. It's a scary thought. It sure is. It sure is. Um. So this land, the original, I'm going to say, quote unquote, owner, because in my brain, sorry, he wasn't the first owner. Um, but after the natives, native people that were there, um, he is the first owner. So basically, the Spanish had wanted. So these kind of lands in here, they kind of like went flip flop back and forth. You know, like French is very predominant, you know, down near New Orleans, but Spain is also very predominant in the South too. Like they had all of Florida that they had claimed, right? So things just kind of flip-flopped as to who was in charge of these things. And um, at this point, the Spanish, um, this was in the 17, let's see here, from 1757 to 1802 before the Louisiana Purchase happened in 1803. During that big chunk of time there, these Spanish land grants were being given away to anyone that was like coming west and wanted to to settle out there. That's nice, I guess. I think my personal opinion, and maybe there's you know history books that actually tell us these things, but I don't remember that shit. I'm assuming that this had to do with the fact that they wanted to make the land more valuable to the United States as a whole, because if there's people living there, then you definitely you know would have it would be worth more money you know, for the U.S. to purchase those lands, which ultimately happened um, in 1803 with the Louisiana Purchase, which Louisiana Purchase was fucking huge. Do you remember anything about that from like eighth grade history? Only that it happened. I mean, looking back at it now, like it's nuts. It was land from 15 states and two Canadian provinces. I don't think I knew that. Okay, so I know that we always say, like, don't write a book report, but this is literally, like, my book report because I kind of went nuts with, like, the history behind some of this stuff. The entirety of Arkansas, Missouri, Iowa, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, large parts of North Dakota, South Dakota, parts of Montana, Wyoming. Um, That's a lot. What the fuck is CP? Why the fuck would I write CP? I think I made a mistake there, and I don't know what the fuck that... Oh, Colorado. <laughs> so CCO. <laughs> Portions of Minnesota. Did you know, like, west of the Mississippi in Minnesota was part of the Louisiana Purchase? That's crazy. That's by us. Yeah. Northeast section of North or of New Mexico, um, northern parts of Texas. Um, NOLA was in there, so New Orleans. Uh, portions of Louisiana. And small portions of also Alberta and Saskatchewan. That's weird. Interesting. And why don't we own them now? 
I don't know. That was my next question. But that has nothing to do with this that we're talking about. What I will say is that this area, it actually was populated with around 60,000 people that were non-native and half of those were slaves. That's gross. So here we start to get in. that The reason why I'm telling you this is because we're getting into that darkness, right? The darkness of like thinking of that heavy feel there, um, you know, the land is taken away from the native people. There's that hit. And then you're bringing in slavery on top of it, that oppression that's in the air. You know how places just hold on to energy. It's heavy. It's really heavy. So this in particular, this land that it sits on is right up next to the Mississippi River. So we grew up on the Mississippi, which I always think is so cool to like, it makes you feel like home. I know. I think it's so cool to like connect that, the fact that it's connected like way up north there and then that it goes all the way down, you know, to come out into into the Gulf there. I just feel some sort of connection with it the entire way there. And so I love to read about what these kinds of stories like this. Um, so this plantation is right on the edges of the Mississippi and that will play into some of the disaster that happens at the place and the heaviness. So there's this guy anyway, is his name is Whiskey Dave. Whiskey Dave. That's fun. Um there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of repeats of Why they call him that? I don't know. Uh he's actually um he lived from 1762 to 1808. His hmm. real name is David Bradford. Um, some of these things say that he was General David Bradford. I honestly did like so much research on this dude, and I don't know if he was given the general title because of the Whiskey Rebellion or because of like a tongue in cheek, you know, general, or if he actually took part in like, say, something else that was going on. Hmm. Um, I don't know. But he was going to get got by the U.S. for causing all sorts of ruckus. <laughs> And the the funny part about this is that he actually, um, he was living in Pennsylvania in Washington County. He was a very well-respected um, attorney there. Not okay. only that, but he was, I believe, app- appointed to be the attorney general for that county. Hmm. Is that right? Deputy, Deputy Attorney General of Washington County. So he, he knew, he like knew the president, you know, George Washington. He knew, like, all of these high-up important people from back in the day. Um, But basically what happened was that the new government was setting up shop, right? They had spent a ton of money in the coffers on the Revolutionary War, and they needed to rebuild. And so they needed money. They needed it fast. And they decided that... The best thing to do was to uh, tax some whiskey because everyone has whiskey. The farmers have whiskey. They make their own. Beer spoil- spoils right away, right? So whiskey holds forever. Anyway, um, people started to get pissed, right? Yeah. And so this goes on. Um, unfortunately for Whiskey Dave... Like, like I said, he had been very successful. He actually um, had built this beautiful house in Pennsylvania, which they considered to be a mansion at the time. Like, he even had workers come over from Europe 
Um, they had to cross the Pennsylvania mountains to bring his fanciness over. That's a lot of work for back then. I mean, yeah. He seems kind of important and fancy. But not too long after they finished his fancy house, that's when all this shit started hitting the fan kind of thing. And this is not talked about a lot because of the legend behind him. But he actually started um, thinking about getting one of those land grants and was starting to try to get one of those land grants um, in 1792, I believe. 1791 is when the Whiskey Rebellion starts. To give you a little bit of a picture of who he is, I like to, to look at the ages of people because it really puts it in perspective. Because when I think of like an old timey person, everybody's 40 years old and stuffy. Right. But that's just like an old 40. Yes. And so like, I mean, it's just not the way it was. Like he was 29 years old. Okay, 29. Oh, wow. He had a wife. He already had five kids. But, you know, 29 years old. That's it's pretty baby. I mean, in the grand scheme of he had it going on. You sure did. Yeah. So like I said, you know, he had already been looking for these for the land grant down there. He did own a lot of properties in other areas, too. Um, It just so happens that, you know, it worked out in his favor. The reason I'm telling you that is that later on when he makes his great escape down south um, to Louisiana, it's not like it's a spur of the moment thing. Okay. Anyway, they're like, let's get this bitch started in the country. Let's take everybody's money. Everyone's pissed. There's a lot of landlords that are being affected. I was reading that it was also causing conflicts with the Native Americans because um, I'm I'm not sure what they were doing with them. Maybe they were trying to get taxes out of them. Not really sure. But old wooden teeth, uh, George Washington, he ordered 13,000 troops into Pennsylvania to kind of put a stop to the rebels. And so after this all wraps up... Things settle down in 1794 is when it all kind of wrapped up. Whiskey Dave did not, he didn't run away immediately. Like he had his family there, his wife, Elizabeth, these five kids. Um, However, there was like this big story written about him because, you know, whatever, people like to make shit up. And they actually um, said that he had this legendary escape where he like, he jumped out of a rear window of his house onto his waiting horse and galloped off into the night. And and there was like theme music and it was really crazy. Yeah. He's he's like. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. And he made it to McKee's Rock where he traded his faithful gray horse for a skiff to set off down the Ohio Ridge off the Ohio River. And then they like say that a touch and go battle, gun battle with his pursuers went on all night and he managed to slip through by staying close to the opposite shore of the river. There's like this book written about it and everything. And it actually is like saying that the crew of the keelboat was disarming the troops by throwing them in the river and pelting them with lumps of clay or not clay, lumps of coal from the cargo. Sounds crazy. So it's like this. Yeah. Did the wife go with? She didn't. She just stayed there. So I'm like, okay. I was like, something's not making sense. There's a lot of the story that I'm like, this isn't making sense. Like, what the fuck is this? And so, yeah, that was my first question. I'm like, so his wife and kids just stay behind and they're not like afraid of being like tortured or something. 
No. In reality, I guess he just had like a leisurely escape because the government was like, yeah, we're not really interested in like stirring that hornet's nest again. Like they were just going to leave him alone, I guess, and pretend he wasn't there. But instead, he actually, that's why I said that like a couple years earlier, he was already looking for this land grant to leave the area. He was probably just like, I'm done with this shit. So he did actually, um, he went to Philadelphia, heard, you know, that there was this coal boat. He did ride the coal boat down, you know, on the Ohio River, and he rode it all the way down to New Orleans um, into the Spanish-owned West Florida Territory. Here's the thing, as a lot of people were like, oh, he was running away from the law. There's another story out there, and I think this one is kind of cool, is that um, he actually, since he was attorney, he was fighting for a slave. And he was arguing that the slave should be set free because of the fact that the slave um, wasn't properly registered. And he won that court battle. The slave owner was pissed. Yeah, I imagine so. And so a lot of people think that that's the real reason why he didn't want to stay there. That seems more likely. Either way, he gets down to Louisiana and fairly quickly he gets that land grant. And it's for, it's either 650 or 600 acres when what is now Francisville or St. Francisville, Louisiana. Not super far from New Orleans. It was in a place called... I think it's Bayou Sarah or Sarah Bayou is where where he was. That's where the land was. That's this, well, the haunted native lands. <laughs> like they're like, oh, here you go. You can have this one. So he completed building of a, a modest plantation home there called Laurel Grove. He named it in 1797. His wife kept petitioning for him to be pardoned by George Washington and George Washington was like, no, with his wooden teeth. <laughs> um, and then finally in 1799, President John Adams like wrote up this whole ass pardon for him. I don't know if his wife came before or after the pardon. I've read both. This entire story like is full of horseshit. Okay. There's so many lies. There's so many whatever. That's why it took me so long to research it because every time I would see something, I'd be like, that doesn't make sense. I don't like that. I fucking hate it when that happens. So I started to look up like actual times that people died. It was just very confusing. So they lived there for the next nine years um, until his death in 1808. He died at the age of just 46 from yellow fever. Yellow fever is a thing a lot of people were dying in this area down south because of it in that like swampy south. Basically, yellow fever was brought over with the slaves. Serves them right. So they brought it from Africa to the U.S. is what I was reading because um, I did look and I was like, what is yellow fever? You know, basically, I think that there was like an immunity for the natives of Africa because it had been where they were, but they bring it here and like mosquitoes suck their blood and then mosquitoes suck the blood of other people down in the swampy areas and they're not immune, right? But they didn't know. Yeah. Like they didn't know what the hell was going on. They're like, okay, are we giving it to each other? Or is it passing like back and forth? Like what's happening here? You know, but like people were dying all over the place. 
Um, I also read in this other one that like it was a story about Savannah, completely different, but like rich families would just like leave during that time of the year. Like they were just like, meh, mosquito season. I'm not going to, I'm going to go north. Yeah. Yeah. We have mosquitoes up here too, but I guess we, we they didn't have yellow fever because less slaves up north. So Elizabeth continued, Elizabeth is his wife. She continued to run the plantation until 1817 and then handed over the operations to her son-in-law, Clark Woodruff. His name was actually spelled like Woodroof, like R-O-O-F-F. And then later on in life, he changed it to Woodruff, which is a very common spelling. When Whiskey Dave's daughter, Sarah Matilda, married Clark Woodruff, um, and they kept living there with with the mom because she like couldn't take care of the place by herself. So to put this in perspective, so let's talk about this guy, Clark. Okay. Because Clark becomes a main figure here as to the hauntings, okay? There's a lot of speculation about, so that's what this is all kind of leading up to. Okay. Is the Clark thing. He was born in 1791 in Connecticut. So that's the year that the Whiskey Rebellion started. A ton of history here. Like all of the legends try to tell you something like, like, oh, Sarah Matilda, this daughter of theirs, that she was she was just a teenager and he was like 40 and all this other stuff. No, that that's not true. Like I've heard so many people like get get all up on their little pedestal and be like, oh, it's so gross. It's like, dude, look at the actual gravestones. So she was 19 and he was 26 when they got married. They got married um, at the at um, it wasn't called the Myrtles then. It was called Laurel Grove. This is important, like I said, because he's not a creepy 40 year old like everyone claims that he was. (laughs) I'm doing all of this research in here and there's so many parts of this story where they're like, oh, Uh, Clark was a student, a law student of Whiskey Dave's, and that's how they met. And he was a creep and he was creeping on the daughter. The dates don't even add up. And so I started to get really confused. And then I realized that Judge David Bradford is the son of Whiskey Dave. They have the same name. As one does back then. And actually, it makes a lot more sense if Clark was studying under him, not the dad, because Clark didn't even make it to Louisiana until 1810, which is two years after Whiskey Dave died. Whatever the case is, he comes down, he tries to start a school, and then he started warring with the other 1812ers, you know, like in the War of 1812. He came back to Bayou Sarah or Sarah Bayou or whatever that's called, because everyone's name was that. And at this point, he decided that he was going to study law And that's when he, I believe, moved into Laurel Grove with their family to study. And that's when he met the daughter. And, you know, the rest is history there. Like, they got married in um, in 1817. Got it. Got it. I'm following. Yeah. Yeah. Sarah and Clark had three children together. They had their oldest, which was Mary Octavia. Um, She was born in 1818, the year after they got married. 
ton of records said that she was born in 1812, but that didn't even make sense because Clark was fighting in the war um, in 1812 and also Sarah was like 14. So like, I'm pretty sure that, and that was like um, years before they got married. So none of, like I said, like the, the records are so screwy. Um, yeah. When I was on the tour at Myrtle's, they talk about them being twins, I believe. The other two children, Cornelia Gale, which is a girl, and James, which is a boy. Um, I'm telling you about these kids because they get murdered. Oh, no. Um, they don't really get murdered. Like, that's the legend. So I'm just trying to keep you guys interested because I know that this is uh, a lot of history and you're like, what's happening? Moving on. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so there's these three little kids. Um like still imagine here like Sarah and Clark are they're pretty young still right so this is a young couple they're living with the middle-aged mother and probably like her other siblings like Sarah's other siblings that are at the house that's a lot of freaking people it's a really big place though right no the original house is not that big the original house is like um if you look at the pictures there's there's like the gift shop area, like gift shop kitcheny area. And then there's like a men's and women's parlor in there. I think probably like the dining room. And then there's like upstairs. So originally the house was like half the size that it is now. Oh, okay. Right. So it's a lot of people in that little place. Um, Just to kind of give you an idea of like how they're living. Yeah, it's a big sprawling place, but... You know, a lot of people. Let's talk about the allegations against people love to call him Jarge, 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 Jar Jar. <laughs> That's not what I meant to say. Let's talk about the allegations against Judge Clark Woodruff. There's going to be a lot of judges, a lot of attorneys in this story, and a lot of repeating history. So bear with okay. me. I'm. Next, Sarah's that are on the list, I'm just going to call them like Mrs. Such and Such because these people are not even related to each other. Sarah. Yeah, because there was four names back then. There was like, yeah, you know, you know. Um, So people love calling him judge, right? Because it's shocking. It's more shocking that a judge would be, you know, somebody that, that people hold in high regard and then he's doing nasty things behind closed doors it just makes the story sound more scandalous when in reality at this time he was just a dude he was just a lawyer like he didn't even become a judge until later after his wife died so whatever so it just gives you a difference you know between the legend and the actual truth so according to the legend his young wife wasn't quite keeping him satisfied, or maybe he was just a creep, but he definitely had a thing for going after the the ladies on the plantation, you know, in, Asshole. in the dirty story um, of the Dirty South. He had an eye for young slaves, women, you know, that were on the plantation. Like a lot of them did. I know. I know. Well, I know a lot of them did. And I'm not saying he didn't. Um, Like, I really don't know. Um, but nothing's ever proven this story to be true. Really, at this point, it wouldn't be called anything but a sex slave because that's the appalling truth of it. Like, they love to call it like, oh, they had an affair. There's no affair. 
No, I don't think they were really into it. No. It was just a way for her to not live in fear, number one, and not to have to be like out in the field. They had indigo and cotton were the, the primary were the primary crops that they that they had on this six hundred and fifty acre plantation. I had read somewhere and again, I don't know, whatever, but I had read that they had twenty four slaves. Ugh. Originally on the plantation. And then that increases later on. So that's a lot of people. Like, think about that. Yeah, it really is. It blows my mind that the slave population can't, like, overtake the family. Like, that's how much fear that they're living in. Well, what were they going to do after they did? They could physically do it, but really, where would they go after they did it? It wasn't, what What would they do? Where would they go? Because, like, mobs would come after them. That'd be my guess. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, according to the story, and it's really gross, is that they're just like, oh, there was this hot slave girl. You know what I mean? Her name was Chloe. Um, She was a victim, if this was true. I mean, even the legend is gross, the way they tell it. Um, And apparently she was like a caretaker for the kids. She didn't want to work in the fields. uh, And so, you know, she carried on the sexual relationship with him for some time. Um, And then she started to notice that he was either A, growing tired of her, or maybe he cast her aside. It just depends on the story that you you read or that you hear. There's so many different versions. But basically, in a nutshell, he's getting sick of her. She's afraid. She she needs to get some intel, right? Because she's afraid of being replaced or found out by the wife, right? Or and sent back to the fields or, like, killed, you know, (laughs) for being in this quote-unquote relationship um, with him so she starts eavesdropping and she thinks she's pretty good at it but the story goes I think is that she is leaning up against the men's parlor you know when he has some some dudes over I think that's the story that that I heard from the person at the plantation but again I've heard this so many different ways and times either way she's leaning up against the thing she gets caught and he either chops off one ear or both ears or whatever. Um, and then she's forced to wear this green turban around her head to like hide her earlessness. You know, the family didn't want her mutation to be shown to anyone. So a lot of problems with this story. Like, wouldn't the wife be like, hey, why did you chop that girl's ears off? What's going on? Why are you mad at her? You know, Story goes that she wanted to get back in good with the family, so she baked the cake for the kids' birthday party while Clark, the dad, was gone, right? In the story, she she takes some oleander leaves. Do you know what oleander is? Nope, I do not. Okay, when you're turning into my driveway, there's two trees on either side. Those are oleander trees. They have like what do they do to people? Mine have like the pretty bright pink flowers. I did a lot of reading on oleander just because first of all I have them in my yard. Second of all, just curious about it because of this story. So apparently if you if you like eat the plant, you eat the leaves right of the tree or the flowers or whatever it is, that it will kill you. Like the poison in it. I also oh. read that just touching the leaves. This kind of freaked me out because I'm like, I prune those. I always wear gloves when I'm pruning things, but like, this is just another reason to do it. 
Yeah. Apparently, if you like get the oils on you or something and there's a transfer, like you can get sick from that. Or if you burn them, if you burn it, the oleander, the fumes can like get you. You really better tell Doc because Doc really loves to burn things. Yeah, the doc loves burning up the things. I told him, I was like, do not burn the oleander. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, um, okay, so, like, ever since I've been researching this and told him that, he keeps accusing me of poisoning him with oleander, like, every other day. That sounds like him. I was like, if I tried to poison you, you would be dead. Okay. I got this. So they have this this birthday party, you know, for the child. I'm pretty sure, I don't know, like I'm pretty sure that the child that they were celebrating was Mary Octavia, the older kid, but apparently she was like, no, thank you. I actually don't like cake. Like we all know that kid. It's, it's, a, it's Anna. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I don't like cake. Yeah. So Anna would have survived the oleander cake. The idea here was, in most of the stories, it's not to kill the family. Most of it was that Chloe thought that if she made them sick, she could nurse them back to health and therefore would become valuable again. Oh, okay. Not lose her place in the house. Story goes that the mom, Sarah, and the twins quote-unquote twins even though i found records that they were born two years apart from each other but whatever okay um the two little kids that they all die like within days shit yeah so she's like oh fuck right so chloe goes to her her fellow slave friends and is like like guys i i fucked up i fucked up and i killed them i didn't mean to do it you know whatever but since Clark is gone, the other slaves are like, they're like, bitch, we don't want any part of this. Like, no, you're out. You're out. So they take her and they hang her from the big live oak tree in the front yard. That's not nice. Like murder her straight up, you know, and then weight her down with rocks and throw her into the Mississippi River, which ugh, the whole body in the river thing just creeps me out. But. According to the legend, you know, Clark, the dad, comes back. He's devastated, um, but continues to stay on at the plantation with his mother-in-law, Elizabeth, until she died in 1830. There's no, there are, are no records of any slave named Chloe. Oh. It just, there aren't. There aren't. And so, like most lies and legends, usually they're, they're probably built of a little bit of truth. A little bit of truth. Yeah. You know? So maybe he did. Maybe he did have a penchant for being not so great, you know, to the ladies on the plantation. Maybe that was a thing. But what I do know is that the records state that Sarah died of yellow fever in either 1823 or 1824. I really, really want to see her gravestone and see what it says. Because if it was in 1824, then that could mean that the poisoning did happen and that because the, the other children or the children died in 1824, two months apart from each other. Um, okay. So like if they all died around the exact same time, that would make more sense. But on paper, it says that they all died of yellow fever. 
and that Sarah died, I believe, in 1823, and then her children died a year later, two months apart from each other, also from yellow fever. Yeah, that makes more sense then. And that's why I started looking up the oleander poisoning. I was like, what are the symptoms? Is it like yellow fever? I mean, yeah, a little bit, but not not enough. I, I don't know. We've got a hundred year game of telephone going there. We sure do. And so the thing about it is, is, is that what we do know is that there's two little kids and a woman that died here at the plantation. So regardless of how it happened, their souls are still wandering around. Why did people make up the story about Chloe? Well, because they started fucking seeing this ghost, you know, a young a young woman with this green turban, um, a young slave girl. There's also an older slave woman that tucks people into bed. Like, that's sweet. You could be staying there and you could get tucked into bed by her. But she also has a green turban. I'll tell you a little bit more about that, like when we talk about the hauntings, but there is an actual picture of Chloe that happened in 1992. Look. That was taken by act. So I'm going to see a ghost picture. Oh, yeah. Okay, so when you stay at the place, when you go into the gift shop, they actually have like a, they have a picture frame, like a rotating picture frame. And it just is on loop and it shows all of the pictures of ghostly activity that guests give to them. It's so cool. I'm getting chills like talking about it. It's so cool. And like we should have sent in our pictures because we actually have some. I remember you telling me that you had pictures, and I was, I'm guessing now that it must be from there. It is. It is. So what happened is that on our tour of the place, like, we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the other ghosts that are there, but during our tour, we were, we were in, I believe it was the front entryway, or it could have been the dining room at that point. Either way, oh, it was the front entryway because the lady was telling us that supposedly Chloe, like the legend there is that she really loves jewelry. She loves jewelry in particular. She loves earrings, which is crazy because supposedly she has no ears, right? Her ears are chopped off, but she like loves the earrings. So she said that they actually have a tray where they will find singular earrings. She really loves gold hoops. But women's earrings go missing during the tour, and then they find them later on. And so they just have this, like, tray, like, full of jewelry. So while we're talking about this, we're snapping pictures. And we both know that that Lucy is an empath. Um, so we like to take her to these places to see what's going to happen. And um, yeah, we looked back at the pictures later that night. And maybe we could put the picture out and, like, blur her face or whatever. Around her neck, she's wearing a necklace. She is wearing a necklace, like a few of them maybe. Um, There are orbs that go around her neck. That's crazy. And she's just like, like Lucy's just looking off, you know, at all the different things in there. And and there's these orbs like around her neck by her jewelry. That's so crazy. It is. It like, it creeped me out when we looked at them later. I'm like, no shit. Because we did, we did the tour the next morning after we did ghost hunting that night. So very cool. Uh, But moving on in the story. So we, we move along here at a certain point. It's just, it's just uh, Clark Woodruff 
um, again, he is not yet a judge, right? He ends up leaving the plantation, I believe, in 1834. So he stays on for like another four years or so, or at least owns the property and has somebody maintaining it for at least four years before he sells it. He actually leaves with his daughter, Mary Octavia. They they move on with their lives. She marries another plantation owner um, that is in the area. And he, the dad goes on to be a judge, you know, does some other things in, in town there. And then eventually he goes, I believe, and dies on her plantation. Okay. And I want to look that plantation up because I think it might be haunted as well. I'm sure they all are. When you have that many slaves there, there's just, there would be so much negative energy that would hold on to that location, you would imagine, or... That's what I would believe to be true. Right. Absolutely. So if we're if we're going here, um, let's move on from now we've had the Bradfords that lived there, you know, and then that turned into the Woodruffs, you know, the son-in-law situation. But then um, in 1834, it changes hands again and it is sold to Ruffin and Mary Sterling. This is Mary Cobb, Mary Cobb Sterling, and it's sold for $46,853. Can you imagine, like, you buy a whole fucking plantation for less than $50,000? And think about how much that would be in today's money. Did you, did you look that up at all? No, I didn't. I was too obsessed with birthdays. <laughs> That was my hang up. I was getting so mad. I was listening to all these different um, all these different podcasts about it. And every time that somebody would say something, I was getting to the point where I was like yelling at the people in the podcast and I was like, you're a fucking liar. <laughs> That's not right. It was it was just it was making me mad because I'm like some of them were like, like, just use your brain when you look at the at the facts there. I don't know. It was driving me crazy. So either way, let's talk about the the sterlings okay so we're on to a new family they are super wealthy um they're landowners from north carolina and they actually spent a couple of years renovating the new plantation home and they doubled the size of it they added on this is where the fancy comes in okay like it went from not being so fancy to being like a fancy pants like they did something okay um, which is what you see today when you go there. And when you open this link, like you'll see some of the pictures. So you can go ahead and open that link if you want to now. Um, and we'll put these pictures out so that people can see it to just give you kind of an idea. They did copy the style of the of the old home. So you can't really tell like where where exactly it was added on to. But let's see here. Oh, that's a big house big house so that the veranda is basically like the wraparound porch that goes all the way around the house it's so cool like you just you can walk like all the way around the house on it they do a lot of bragging about the iron work that's very detailed did you take any pictures of this yourself yeah yeah if you want to send those to me i can blur anybody out and post them for us yeah yeah, absolutely. Um, so a couple of really cool things about this house, and this is like one of my life goals. Um, and I really, this is so stupid, but I kind of want to do this at the house that I built. 
So a lot of these parlor windows that you see there, if you notice, like the giant windows go from ceiling to floor. They go all the way down. So they have this really cool feature in the parlors that you can open the windows like doors. And it's so that the dance floor inside can carry out onto the veranda. That's really cool. I know. It's so elegant. I love it. I I, I just think that would be so cool. In my imaginary home in my head, that's what happens. So anyway, she had, they added on the entire wing that includes the grand entrance hall. So at the, the back of the house, like you go into this giant entrance hall where you can see the big haunted mirror. There's a haunted mirror in there that supposedly they say captured the souls of the poisoned children or what have you. And they say that they've that they've even replaced the glass on it. A lot of people catch images in the mirror, like somebody's trapped in the mirror. There's crazy things. This one in particular, you can see a Mardi Gras mask, um, like in the mirror. That's real creepy. Um, other things, there's handprints. The handprints look like they're coming from like the inside out. So like some of the people that had, had bought the house were like, oh, this mirror is gross. And they replaced the glass on it. But the handprints just keep coming back. Ew. I have actually, I have pictures of that too. I don't know. Who knows if any of that stuff is true or not. But here's the interesting part is that the children that are supposedly trapped in the mirror, that hallway didn't even exist when they died. Oh, did that mirror come from the original home maybe? Did, yeah, did that mirror, was it like in a different spot? They probably told me on the tour, but I was too busy. People used to think that people would get stuck in mirrors when they died. Like sometimes when somebody was dying, they would cover all the mirrors in the house, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's totally a thing that they would do. They would cover the mirrors because they thought that your soul would get sucked into the mirror. Totally a thing. And, but there was a lot of unexpected death in this house. Um, let's see what else did they add on. They added on the master suite downstairs plus another staircase. This is the big staircase that's supposedly haunted, and I'll tell you why in a little bit. Okay. That leads up to a large bedroom suite and a sitting area upstairs. So I didn't get to go upstairs because I didn't rent a room in the house. Next time I go, I'm going to stay in the house. Like the doc and I are going to do it. But I really, really want you to go, mostly because I want you to be scared. That's scary, and I would not get any sleep at all, and I I don't know if I can do that. You eventually get to a point where you're just so tired. I just get so scared every time I stay at haunted hotels. I don't like it. Well, either way, so I'm wondering if Mary Sterling, if she was seeing these apparitions already, because... Here's the thing. When she was doing all of this, she was warding off ghosts and evil spirits, like with everything that she was doing. So she actually, um, they had a bunch of stuff like travel, you know, and they brought in a bunch of collection of furnishings and things um, from Europe because she wanted her house to be like the most lavish, you know, to have all these giant parties and all the other stuff. So she hired these French craftsmen to like hand paint these French crosses on the entrance doors, which are still there. 
They also like hand carved these ceiling medallions and frise work. If you look at it's basically the crown molding that goes around, but all of it is like pierced. It's like hand pierced. So they had to carve that and it actually is like, yeah, it's like it's like a little grate almost like a, an intricate. Yeah, I'm looking at one of the pictures with it in there right now, actually. Yeah, it's like carved. It's so cool. Um, the way that they would yeah. make these is that they would take clay because this is a very heavy with clay area like it is where I live, too. Um, they would take clay and then like I think it was either cattle or goat hair. And then also uh, Spanish moss from the trees. And then they would mix that all up together and then they would press it into these molds. And then they had to like actually do the frisee work where they like made it pass all the way through with the carving. That's nuts. Yeah. It's a lot of work that went into it. They did all of that mint green grill work that goes around the veranda. She had them put in their key, like the keyholes for the doors. They put them in upside down. Weird. So that it would confuse spirits so like if a spirit wanted to go into your little keyhole into your house it would get confused because it was like why is this upside down i can't come in here yeah and then she also had these little cherubs like everywhere like they put these little cherubs and they're creepy as fuck and they look at you from like all corners of the house they're everywhere that is creepy So I'm pretty sure that they were, like, starting to see some sort of paranormal activity, even though it's not documented. But why else would you go through all of this work to make everything, like, evil proof? They had nine children, and only one of them was actually born at the plantation. Her name was Mary Ann. Sadly, like, four of her children did die before they reached adulthood, which is very normal. One of the hauntings that people have seen actually at the house is little children sitting up on the roof and so when we were talking about like why would there be little kids like sitting up on the roof well the lady was like well back in the day she's like they didn't have air conditioning so the kids would climb out their windows and go sit up on the roof where it was breezy yeah i guess that makes sense because you're in louisiana in the summer without air conditioning Yeah, Louisiana, summer without air conditioning. Hot. Very hot. Um, Very soupy. Gross. The husband, Ruffin, he died in uh, 1854. And his wife, uh, which one? Mary Sterling. Uh, She was 41 years old. And she was left to run the plantation. Just like, remember the original owner? Like her husband had died? Same exact story again, right? So now it's Mary and she's left alone to to run this plantation. And like word on the street is that she was a badass. Like they were like, this woman runs this place like a man. Oh, I can't believe it. Right. Well, she did have a bunch of slaves, right? Yeah. Yes, she did. She did. But apparently she was a good businesswoman. Like she did some things. Um you know, she still had all these fancy parties, all the other stuff, one of which was a big fancy party for her daughter, her oldest daughter, Sarah. Everyone's name is Sarah. So from this point forward, I am going to call her Mrs. Winters because she married this guy named William Winters. And she got married when she was 19, just like the other daughter. Anyway, um, 
he was a prominent attorney. What the hell? It's like a repeat of everything all over again. Yeah. They had, you know, quote, the wedding of the decade on June 3rd of 1852, and it took place in this fancy new ladies parlor, you know, that they had renovated. Because like I said, they had mirroring parlors. There was a ladies parlor and a men's parlor. Remember, supposedly Chloe had put her ear up to the men's parlor. Right. So we're talking like it's been 30 some years now since the whole Chloe thing supposedly happened and the other deaths happened. New life, new family, everybody, you know, living it up here in their big fancy party house. And Mrs. Winters and William Winters, you know, Mr. and Mrs., the new young couple, they lived on the husband's plantation near Clinton, Louisiana, which is not that far away, and then moved to a plantation near West Baton Rouge. They had four children together. One of their children, her name was Kate, and she was three years old. And, you know, this is about nine years later, right? So nine years after they get married, they have this little three-year-old, and she got typhoid fever. Oh, no. And they were afraid of her. They were afraid of her giving it to other people in the family. You know, they're confused. They don't know what's going on. So they send her to her grandma's house over at the Myrtles. Oh, by this point, I forgot to tell you, too. They renamed the plantation. It was no longer Laurel Grove. Now it's named the Myrtles. So Myrtles Plantation, and it's it's named after those crepe myrtle trees, you know, the flowering ones that I was telling you about. So they send this little girl over to grandma's house to be taken care of, and they get really desperate. And the story goes, and again, I don't know if this is true or not, but the story goes is that they enlisted the help of Cleo, right? So now we've got Chloe, the old slave, right? And now we've got Cleo, and she was a voodoo priestess from a neighboring plantation. So I'm assuming she was probably also a slave. So they did this whole thing on her, but despite the intervention, the little girl died. A lot of people think that Chloe and Cleo are the same person. They get confused. A lot of podcasts are like, oh, this guy was so stupid because he like called Chloe the wrong name. He called her Cleo. And I'm like, read a book. <laughs> anyway, whatever the case is, little girl dies. And I believe that she is one of the ghosts that's potentially there as well. Like, you see a pattern happening here, right? Yeah. Just all sorts of tragedy. Just thing after thing after thing. Civil war breaks out. And soldiers in the area, I I was looking to see if it was like Union or Confederate or which, which soldiers are it. But there was a lot of looting that was happening at plantations. Like, we see it in all these wars, like, terrible things happen. People start to blur the lines between what's right, what's wrong. Things start to get looted, including the Myrtles Plantation. So this big fancy house is now being, like, overrun. There is a story in here somewhere where there was, like, an altercation within the house. Supposedly, there were three soldiers in the house, and some shit goes down, and they end up dead you know, killed in the house and that there is a blood stain on the floor that they could not get out. There have been sightings of soldiers, I believe, near the pond at the center. Um, okay. You know, the, the same pond that we were like running around in the dark. 
Yeah, that one. By middle, do they mean like just floating out in the middle of the pond, like walking on water? Like I'm wondering if they're out like in the little, like if you cross the little tiny bridge and go to the center gazebo. I thought that I heard that it was somewhere around there or maybe just like wandering around. It could be. Anyway, there was a Confederate soldier that that Mary Sterling, you know, this this widow that was taking care of the place. Apparently, she took him in and he was hurt and he and she was taking care of him for a couple of months. And one of her neighbors at a neighboring plantation actually ratted her out. So that didn't end well. So I'm not sure if like he got killed there maybe, like when they got ratted out. I, I don't know exactly what happened there. All I know is that there's soldiers there. Some old timey Civil War soldiers. The war ended in 1864. So obviously slavery was abolished and so was Confederate money. Like they had their own money down south and all of their wealth. Um, for her entire family, not just Mary's family, but like her her daughter, Mrs. Winters, right, and her husband, all of their stuff is tied up in Confederate money. They're left with nothing. Like they go from like, you know, making their money off the backs of slaves to nothing. They have to, you know, get their own help for the fields or do it themselves. Things start to fall apart here. Her daughter and her son-in-law, right, they had been living on these other plantations. Like, they owned a bunch of stuff, and they go bankrupt. Yeah. They're, like, left with nothing. And so she, you know, Mary is kind of struggling herself. So they're like, okay, let's consolidate. And so she asks her daughter and her son-in-law if if they could help um, salvage the plantation, right? Can you guys yeah. come in and move in? So they agree. They move into the, into the Myrtles in December of 1865, and they actually took over the upstairs, what is now the the Woodruff guest room, where Sarah was was raised. They take over that room. You know, six months later, or in a sorry, two years later, they have a baby there. You know, a son. But six months after that, their debt was like so bad that they had to file for bankruptcy for everything. Not just their own homes, but like the Myrtles. So the Myrtles was sold by a U.S. Marshal um, in April of that year. But I'm not really sure how this worked. But like eight days later, the plantation reverted back to Mrs. Winters because she was the rightful Sterling heir to the property. So like, who did they sell it to? And then were they like, just kidding? Haha, we got your money. And then they just gave it back to the Sterling family. So they literally moved all of their stuff out of this giant ass house and then had to move everything back in eight days later. That's super weird. It is really weird. Maybe they were selling their other property and it sold for more than what they were thinking it was going to sell for or something along that line, maybe. I don't know. I don't understand. Like, it's very confusing, like, how that would have played out, like, when you're merging the two sides, like, the South and the North. Like, if they had their own money down in the South, like, it got to that point, you know, where they had, like, Confederate dollars versus regular U.S. dollars. Like, that had to be a mess, figuring all that out. Yeah, all these plantations going into ruin. I I have, like, seen – I've been to a lot of museums that were, like, the slavery and stuff. I like to take the kids there. 
I like for them to see like the slaves quarters where they lived and slept because I'm like, you guys complain about being up in each other's space and literally these people lived in this little like nine by 10 house, like an entire family. Yeah. It's almost the closest we can really get to seeing what it was like for them. And that view is not even close to the full experience that they had at that time not even close it's just the only glimpse we can i know just going to those places like it does something to you to look at it it really does let's fast forward here now to the 1870s so it's 1871 um it's in january end of january at 7 p.m 7 p.m in january is dark Mr. Winters, uh, William, he is in the gentleman's parlor and he's teaching either some people said school lessons, some people said Sunday school lessons, whatever it is. This one story tried to make him sound like a saint because he was teaching Sunday school. And I'm like, bitch, he had like a billion kids. He was teaching his own kids. But he's teaching, I guess, his nine and 13 year old sons. This is the, the account I'm looking at is one that's from the actual tour from the house. And suddenly he could hear a horse galloping up to the north veranda. So basically that part of the house, like he hears somebody coming up that the driveway and then there's a, a voice outside and it's demanding to see a lawyer. He's a lawyer, you know, so he opens the parlor doors and he steps outside into the night like, yo, what's up? I'm a lawyer, you know, and the man on the horseback asks him what his name is. He tells the guy his name. The guy shoots him in the chest and then just takes off. That's harsh. It's still, it was still unsolved. They never did catch the guy that did it to him. But here's where the next legend comes in. The legend is that, is that Mr. Winters, he, he goes into the house, right? And he's clutching his chest and he just wants to see his wife. That's the last thing he wants to do. And so he's yelling to his wife and she comes down the stairs partway because she's she's upstairs and he makes it up to the 17th step of that big grand staircase in the front, the haunted staircase, makes it to the 17th step and he dies in his wife's arms. So the haunting there is that you can hear his big footsteps going up, up the, the staircase, you know, until they reach the 17th step kind of thing. Yeah. Well... Apparently, this is documented somewhere, and where it's documented, it says that he was shot on the veranda and died on the veranda. Either way, he's there, you know. His wife becomes completely overtaken with grief. Like, she's super sad, and she just becomes a recluse. She will not come out of her bedroom. She won't come out to take care of her four-year-old. You know, she's got teenagers. She won't come out for them. Nobody. She just died seven years later. She just stayed there, holed up in the house. And again, she outlived the mother, her own mother, Mary Sterling. Remember the badass? Uh, yes, I do. So almost the exact same kind of story that we had going on with the other one. It's crazy. So two years after Mrs. Winters dies, her mother, Mrs. Sterling, she dies. Mary Sterling, the mother, um, her son Stephen or Stefan, I don't know how you say it, purchased the Myrtles with his wife, Amanda. 
and they had two little blonde girls. They the little girls were named Nanny and Maud. Um, at this time, they were like three and one years old. Apparently, these little girls are seen all around. It doesn't say in here that they. It doesn't say anywhere in here that they died at the place. So I'm wondering if that's like one of those energy impressions. Yeah, for that one, it's probably just one of those situations where they their energy is left over at wherever they were the happiest in their life. That's what I'm thinking. Well, I think that my energy imprint imprint I thought my energy imprint um <laughs> might actually be at the Myrtles plantation. So you're gonna be joining all those creepy people. Yes, I was so at peace there. Like my energy my energy implant will go there. Oh my god, I hope that all the slaves that are there are just energy imprints and not being forced to be a slave for eternity. That would be terrible. Yes. Like you die and then your ghost is trapped in the place that was the most terrible to you for your whole entire life. That's just not fair. I that's that's just the thing. Like that's the part that like hurts your heart. It just absolutely hurts your heart. I'm just gonna call it that that's just an energy imprint. I just can't handle another thought. So the last of the Sterlings, like I said, this family, um, Stephen and Amanda, they they sold the property in 1886 because they just they couldn't earn a profit there. Like 50 years, the Sterling family was there. They had expanded the mansion. You know, they they spared no expense when they were putting it together. And they that's it. They were done. They were done. So. After that, it just kind of like it changed hands sometimes. You know, there was some other people that that had owned the property and whatnot. I guess in the 1970s is when they really started to like get the paranormal activity was was happening. You know, they eventually just decided to go with it. They're like, this is what we're going to market this place as. It's a beautiful bed and breakfast, but come here to get haunted. Like, that's what we do. Let's just embrace this shit. In 1992, there was a thing that happened. There was an insurance claim, or they were trying to get insurance for the property is what it was. And they had to have these pictures taken. And they were very specific about the pictures. They're like, you have to take them in this way. I think by looking at them, for some reason, they were like black and white. But they were like, there should be no people in the pictures. So they take this picture, and it's between where it, there's kind of like this opening, like a little, I don't want to call it an alley. It's just fucking the, the space between two buildings. Um, If you walk between this little space, it goes back. Is that called a breezeway? Yeah, maybe. No. I don't know. Like if you walk between it and you go back behind it, if I'm recalling correctly, there was like a little garden area that we walked in in the dark. And then there's also like the caretaker's cottage which i guess is haunted as fuck anyway they take this picture and the insurance guy comes back to them and is like hey you got to take a new picture he's like i told you guys don't put any fucking people in the pictures you got to take a new picture and they're like nobody was in the picture and then they look at it and there's chloe ah <sighs> yeah like clear i guess i'll like it's a postcard like, it's a very famous picture. You can find that one. Um, Will it be on the site? It should be in this site. Yeah, it should be in this site. Ah, nope, no. 
so if you're looking through this, like it shows you all the things, like you can see all of the uh, the Gothic French crosses that were hand painted onto the window panes to ward off the evil spirits, yeah. you know, stuff like that. Um, tells you about the different suites that you can stay in in the house. I'll put a link to this in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to have to really study this before we go back and stay again so that I can decide like oh, what kind of what kind of thing I want to experience here. God, yeah. I'm I'm sitting here just reading all the different haunting things that happen. So like in the children's nursery where the kids slept and died from yellow fever, guests report hearing infants crying, adults sobbing, fists pounding on the closet door and feeling the sheets tighten as if being tucked in. Ugh. Like, your toiletries might go missing. Oh, God. The most terrible one is, like, the bed being shaken while you're sleeping. Nope. No. And there's, and there's gouges in the floor. Jesus. Where little three-year-old Kate Winters died, they hear heart-wrenching sobs and can see a rag doll hanging from the chandelier. The voodoo priestess sometimes is seen here, Cleo. This is all just too much. Like, that would be kind of scary if somebody was voodooing at me. If I come with, can I just cover myself in sage somehow? (laughs) You could... It looks really cool, like I want to see it. But I also don't think I can handle everything that comes along with that. But do you want to wear a sage dress? Yes, yes. A dress made of sage. Is that a thing? I'm going to take the sage that I would put in stuffing and just like shove it in my pockets. Oh, my God. Oh, God. There's a doll room where the guests report dolls moving. Oh, no. I don't want that one. This is the place where... um. The original daughter and son-in-law slept. You know, the creepy son-in-law. The one that was rapey. Oh, man. It says May and June are peak activity for Confederate soldiers. In the John Leake room, um, guests may have vivid war dreams. Or see a uniform hanging in the closet. Or see the soldier in the bed. With his leg elevated and he shushes people. And it feels like there's a sensation of being pressed on the chest. Jesus. Okay, let's see. So these are things you want to experience, huh? So ghosts tend to repeat actions in the same place, but spirits can move all around. So it's no surprise that guests staying in the cottages, that's where I stayed, scattered around the property also Report strange encounters, so hearing voices, tapping on windows, drumming, coming from the woods. <gasps> Fuck no. That's scary. So the slaves once lived near here. So there's like a whole area behind there where there was like the slaves lived. And they used to use drums to communicate with friends at neighboring plantations during voodoo rituals. That makes for some creepy energy. Like, I don't know if that stuff is true, but... When you guys were there, did you experience anything beyond the pictures that you guys got? Um, Like, did you see or hear anything? I know that there was a lot of people around, so that probably makes it harder. There really weren't a ton of people. Like, there were, there were a couple other brave souls that were out. Like, we went out nighttime. Like I said, we 
uh, the doc and I walked around the back side of the small pond. There's like a, a surface road kind of like path that goes back behind there that's not lighted. And then when you go around the backside, it ends at the caretaker's cottage, which is that haunted cottage where people can actually stay. And then on the front side of the pond, it's like across from like servants' quarters and like it's another building and it's got, I think there's other places to stay in that area. And then there's also a restaurant over there. Okay. So when we walked around the backside, the girls originally had been like, no, we don't want to do it. And they went back to the cottage and then they were like, okay, we'll see you guys later. Well, they changed their mind. They got scared at the cottage. And so they wanted to come to where we were. And then we had told them like, we're going to walk around the backside and then we're going to end on the front porch of the mansion. And instead of like going straight on the lighted path, they decided that we must be in the dark somewhere back there. So they started running to find us and we weren't there anymore. That would be very spooky. And so they're like panic running through the woods, basically. <laughs> and um, oh, my God, I just looked up some ghost pictures that did you are they freaky? That that was a mistake. Yes, they were. They were very, very freaky out like that. What was it? Like a whole ass fucking apparition with like a creepy little face. I needed to close it immediately. I can't look at that for more than like 10 seconds. I can't handle it. Oh, like I want it so bad, but I don't want it so bad. Does that make sense? Yeah, I looked at two pictures and that's it. I'm done. I can't do any more. Like, like I'll look at orbs. That's fine. But actual apparitions of actual fucking people. No, thank you. No, thank you. I didn't. I honestly like didn't. I didn't feel anything you know like it was just the pictures afterwards they're super nice people like that run the place you know like in the morning um, we were late to breakfast like we didn't mean to be but they went out of their way to like make us a nice southern breakfast we had like biscuits and gravy and you know like no 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 you, you come in we're gonna I'm gonna make you something anyway you know kind of thing and like yeah they're just they were so sweet they were so nice you know um Let's see here. Other random occurrences that happen. Phantom party noises, uh, doors banging shut, lights turning on and off, tapping on windows, laughter, crying, rattling doorknobs. Oh, this one's really bad. Tickling. No. Oh, I don't want to be tickled by something not real. Oh, my God. That's what you get. Getting poked. Please don't poke me. Like, what does that mean? Like, repeated pokes? Like, in the belly? What is it going to be like? Like you're the motherfucking Pillsbury Doughboy. Yes. Voices calling your name. Uh, swaying chandeliers. Icy temperatures. Knocking. Sounds of heavy furniture being dragged. There's one room where you can't go in, but you can hear the furniture being dragged across the floor. Do you know what's going to happen in your house when you die? What? They're going to hear furniture moving. They're going to hear sounds of people doing construction and they're going to wake up in the morning and there's going to be like little pieces of wallpaper torn off the wall because you decided that you wanted to redecorate in the afterlife. So I'm going to pause here. Listeners, I'm adding this in after the fact. I'm going to let you in on a secret and it's that there was a technical difficulty while we were recording this episode, which is why you're hearing some background noise of me talking behind Jules. 
So this is the moment that it happened. Oh my God, something really bad happened. My earbuds stopped working and I don't know how long ago. And you're just like, and you're just like talking on my microphone. Oh no. Oh no. Okay. Okay. So things might sound weird for the last part of the episode. Sorry about that. Um, you might get some sheets yanked away from you, all this other stuff. Oh man. Anyway, rocking chairs going on their own, cigar, perfume smells, or a caretaker shooing people away. There is an old man caretaker as well. Um, let's see what else didn't we cover. Mr. Winters, the guy that was shot, Sarah Winters, seen in a black gown and veil, the sad one, I guess she sobs, the gruff man wearing overalls and a straw hat. Sometimes uh, he's looking out of the window at the cottage. Ugh. Yeah, I think we covered it all, but this is the place I find it near and dear to my heart. I really, really love this place. And someday I hope you are brave enough to go. How about I go there during the day with you with sage in my pockets and then you go at night and then when in the morning you tell me what happened. I just, I would rather if we did it together and then we recorded in the middle of the night. Like, wouldn't that be fun? Your face is like, that's not fun. Nah, bitch. That is not fun. I know, but like being scared is what it's all about. No, it's not. It's about connecting. Like, like how cool would it be to be able to go like, yes, I do absolutely believe that there is something after death. Oh, I absolutely believe. I just want to believe that it's all just energy that stayed and it's not intelligent. I don't want it to be people who are like, trapped in our world forever i know like i have felt the severe energy like when i go to new orleans i can't even like my arms the i get chills like when i go down certain street like i feel it so deep when i'm there i just want to see it i just want to see it okay well after i saw those pictures i do not I don't want to see these creepy fuckers. Either way, I, I seriously recommend it to any of you that that are into that kind of thing. If you want to go see it, it's not, at least our experience there was not as scary as I thought it would be. Like, there's always that anticipation, you know, where you're like, oh, am I going to, am I going to? And honestly, I've stayed at so many of these haunted hotels and nothing spectacular has happened. Like, I haven't heard a noise. I haven't felt anyone touch me. Like, I haven't, none of that stuff. Yeah. It's disappointing, really. Maybe you want it too much. I think I do. I think I do want it too much. And I also want to go back and go to the grave sites because I'm being such a freak about when they were born and when they died. Because why are people so stupid on the internet? That's all. Well, now I'm going to have to go watch Ghost Hunters and Ghost Adventures to see these episodes. Well, I hope that you watch it afterwards and that they tell you, like, inaccurate facts and that you get real mad, too. Okay? Oh, I'm sure I will. Okay. Well, that is it, everyone. Thank you for hanging in there with me during all of this 
research, I know I was taking this one very, very seriously. You're very passionate about Myrtle's plantation, which is fine. I am. I am. Energy imprint, baby. All right. So that is all. All right. Well, we want to provide a couple of reminders. If you liked this episode and you feel so inclined, we would love if you would leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening to us on. Tell your friends about us because we can't advertise out in the world because we put the word shit in our title. We are available for support at patreon.com slash says. You can find us on TikTok and Instagram at Podcast. And you can find us on facebook.com slash weirdshitmymomsayspodcast without the I and shit or on in or no, on Twitter at weirdshitmmspod. All right, that's it. And I think I messed up on Patreon. It's weirdshitmymomsayspodcast is the last part of it. Okay, goodbye. 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 Goodbye.